From the CQ Roll Call newsroom in Washington, this is the Week Ahead podcast, your nonpartisan news source for how Congress and the federal government shape the real world. In this week's podcast, we'll talk about the Senate's revised health care bill, which was released on July 13th and which Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell plans to bring to a vote. The revision aims to please conservatives who opposed McConnell's first take by allowing health insurers to offer bare-bones plans, but also risks losing them by retaining two taxes on the wealthy that he'd originally planned to repeal. I'm Sean Zeller, and my guests today are CQ reporters Carrie Young and Alan Oda. Welcome to you both. Good to see you, Sean. Hi, Sean. So, Carrie, what's changed in this latest version of the Senate health care bill? They've redone some of the insurance provisions with an obvious intention to bring more conservatives on board. There were some uh, new language added that's really intended to please uh, folks like Senator Cruz, people who were looking to see a little bit of deregulation, maybe a lot of deregulation of the insurance market. So we were talking about um, the Cruz Amendment, which was to allow insurers to sell those bare-bone plans that I mentioned. Right. How's that going to work? We'll see if it, it actually survives. But the idea is, you know, as, as Senator Cruz or a supporter would, would describe that, the idea is you're allowing people the freedom to pick a plan with less coverage. As opponents of that, the idea say that, you know, you'll have people making really poor fiscal choices. You'll end up perhaps skewing the market again, too. There are provisions and, and ideas they're considering for not having this happen. But what you could see is really all healthy people buying bare bones policies while having, you know, leaving people with illnesses in the remaining pool. So it's uh, it's a very complicated measure. Mm-hmm. And the insurers have said they're worried about that. They are worried about that. That is uh, that is one of the, the strong sentiments we're getting from them. That's It's, it's not a, a happy outlook. So basically, this is getting rid of the requirement in Obamacare that insurers offer certain minimum benefits, like they cover emergency room care, they cover prescription drugs, they cover maternity care. Yes. When you step back and look at it, it it seems sort of obvious that if you have that kind of a market, the healthy people buy the cheapest plans they can. And then, quite frankly, if people get ill, then the next time things open up, they opt into a fuller plan. And that you know, there's always a discussion of the risk pool, but that really would end up with insurers having two very different markets, one of which has all of the costs. And there's a change, too, that is aimed at winning over senators from states that have been hit hard by the opioid adem- epidemic. Is that right? Yeah, although that's, that, you know, that was so telegraphed, right? We had heard discussion of the $45 billion, which, you know, to be frank, some people say really isn't enough to forty five billion dollars towards that over exactly. ten years. Over ten years, right. Which you have people saying that's really wasn't a lot of money from the get go. And that was really telegraphed. It wasn't in the original bill. We kind of thought that they would put it back in in this version to say, Oh, we've given something to these states, but it, it doesn't seem to be buying a lot of support for the bill, to put it mildly. Alan, you cover taxes for us. Why did McConnell decide to leave these two taxes in there? Well, uh, as as you mentioned, they they decided that they wanted to leave out the uh, 3.8% tax on investment income, which is aimed at wealthy taxpayers, and it was an also a uh, repeal of the uh, Medicare payroll tax, was which was uh, taken out. And, of course, the original idea was they wanted to repeal as much of the health care law as possible, including these taxes, but, you know, the Democrats said that uh, it amounted to a big tax cut 
for the rich at the expense of benefit cuts for the poor. And uh, in the end, uh, Republicans decided uh, that uh, they did not want to make that trade-off and that the uh, optics of that debate were not helpful to them. So there were two taxes, the 3.8% on investment income, so aimed at the wealthy, and the payroll tax on Medicare, which was also aimed at the wealthy. How did it, how was it aimed at the wealthy? Well, it was uh, a tax that was and has been paid by the uh, individuals that are making more than $200,000 and uh, couples that are making two, more than $250,000. And so these taxes are something that President Trump has wanted to repeal and uh, and the leadership has agreed to repeal them, but it's just not a uh, politically viable time for them to do it. Right. The Democrats had framed this as this Republican bill is about giving tax cuts to the wealthy and taking benefits away from the poor. Will the restoration of these two taxes mute that argument? Well, certainly it looks like it, that argument has been greatly diluted and uh, neutralized. The Tax Policy Center uh, nonpartisan think tank says that this is uh, not really that beneficial uh, anymore to the wealthy because they've removed these uh, the repeal of these two levies from the proposal. And so as a result, this is a fairly even-handed, uh, at least as far as uh, the effect on, on uh, wealthy taxpayers, it's a fairly even-handed approach. And then just following on, on Al's point, if I could, one thing that was so interesting on, on seeing that 3.8% tax go away, we were uh, in the hallway, the scrum of us, all the reporters, and I think the first person to really get out there on that message was uh, Senator Corker, who, from whom we didn't expect it. He's someone who's uh, been an ally of the Trump administration, more conservative Republican. Bob Corker of Tennessee. Bob Corker of Tennessee. I, I remember that we were all, after speaking with him, he, he came out of Leader McConnell's office kind of surprised that it was, uh, you know, Senator Corker bringing out the, this message that, you know, there would be a problem with doing this 3.8 percent uh, cut that would affect really well-off people at the same time that people who are struggling were having you know, wouldn't have a hard time getting their insurance after the bill. And, and that, to me, just really illustrated uh, taxes will be hard. I mean, health care looks hard. Doing a health bill will be hard. But, boy, taxes can be really tough. Now, the Congressional Budget Office, which is a nonpartisan arbiter of what bills will do, has also determined that the original Senate bill was going to save about $300 billion over 10 years, but cost 22 million people their insurance. So presumably this next version is going to save even more with the restoration of these tax cuts. Is that the idea, to make that CBO score look better? Well, I think it's going to, altogether, these two taxes would cost, I believe it's about $230 billion together. So the question is whether how much of that $230 billion that they're, they're going to spend on uh, some of the improvements that Kerry was mentioning. Gotcha. Okay, Kerry, what in the bill remains the same from the first version? Uh, really, the Medicaid uh, provisions are, are largely... There were some tweaks made on the margins. Um, there were some changes to the, the caps that would be put in place to let states deal with crises. Um, that was something that Senator Rubio had been pushing for. There's a special provision for really for Louisiana to, about the timing of how you pick your comparison measure. But most of it is is it's largely intact. It's what we've saw before. Right. And these Medicaid changes were huge. I mean, they were about taking an open-ended spending program and capping it. And 
the uh, determination from the CBO was it was going to save eight hundred billion over ten years. Yeah, it was on Medicaid costs. A main source of saving for these these tax cuts that that Alan was just going through so well. And there's also Planned Parenthood funding that was up in the air, and that the cuts to Planned Parenthood remain in the bill. They remain, and so obviously that was something that may make it even more difficult for Senator Murkowski from Alaska to to come on board. She gave a speech to the legislature in Alaska and said she would not vote for a bill that cut funding for Planned Parenthood. Yeah, she has said that. And they obviously are, are you know, they tilted the bill somewhat to, to give Alaska really generous provisions. She hasn't been out as clearly here in, in Washington, let's say, as, as Susan Collins. But, you know, they have that very narrow window and she's definitely a vote that will be tough for them to get. Right. Susan Collins is the main Republican senator who has already said she would not vote for this bill, the revised version. So 10 Republican senators had said they opposed the original version. You had a, a group of conservatives who didn't think it sufficiently repealed Obamacare. And then you had a group that included moderates like Susan Collins, but also senators from states that had expanded Medicaid under Obamacare that were worried about how it would affect their states. Um, who said they opposed the new version? You know, most senators, as, as you'd expect, are saying that they, they want to take a look at it, but they've raised a lot of concerns. The, you know, we already have the objection from Senator Collins. We have the objection from Senator Paul. So the, the, the big question in Washington... Right. Rand Paul from Kentucky, yes, the libertarian exactly. conservative, has said he's not going to vote for it. Exactly. And he, to be frank, he, he, he seemed to put a lot of effort into trying to get to a point where he could vote for this, or at least vote to, to support moving ahead on this bill. So he appears to be out. Susan Collins is out. So the big guessing game from now until sometime next week is who might be a third Republican to jump off. And once you get that third Republican to say, no, we can't proceed to this bill, then you'll see a wave. You'll probably, if you have three, you'll have 10 Republicans coming out publicly. Because the third is the deciding vote. The third is the deciding vote. They can only lose three. So who are we looking at on that third vote? Uh, obviously, looking very closely at Senator Heller, Senator Murkowski. Heller is from Nevada, Heller's a state that expanded yes. Medi Medicaid. He is. And uh, Governor Sandoval from that state, Brian Sandoval, has been, uh, the two of them held a press conference actually a few weeks ago to announce opposition to an, an earlier version of the bill. They, uh, he'll be a tough vote to get back. Right. That The changes, the lack of changes in the Medicaid provisions, the continued cuts in that area were of tr were worrisome to Rob Portman, the senator from Ohio, Shelley Moore Capito from West Virginia. Were. So we're looking at them. Obviously, look, the Trump administration is keeping the pressure on on this bill. Former Governor Mike Pence, now Vice President, is, uh, is up at the governor's meeting, and he is going to He's expected to take that opportunity to reach out to people who have been strong objectors, particularly Nevada Governor Brian Sandoval, whose state is has, has a certainly a strong Democratic presence. That's a state where the Senate representation is split, one Democrat, one Republican. Sandoval has been a, a leader among governors calling for major changes to this, this Senate bill. He is very concerned about Medicaid. Uh, Pence is, is pretty good at the retail politics. He's apparently pretty good at the one-on-one, -on -one, the kind of uh, basic blocking and tackling of, uh, of, of politics, building relationships, really being able to talk and connect to people. So he'll, he'll definitely make a pitch. But in the end, governors like Governor Sandoval need to think about their state and, and what, these, what this bill would mean back at home. What about the conser other conservatives? Ted Cruz, has he been assuaged by... The provision, his provision allowing 
the sale of bare bones healthcare plans? You know, it seems like he would probably be an easier get on the if they get this on the floor to a motion to proceed, but then that could be changed in the process and, and you could lose him. So there are two questions here. Can they even get the bill to the floor? And then beyond that, can they can they pass it? So the initial crop of people they're probably focused on, on are the ones who won't even let it get to the floor. Never say never. Senator Cruz seems a likely vote to allow it to proceed, but then who knows what happens if this thing is actually on the floor and gets changed. Because the Democrats could change it on budgetary grounds. Uh, there are rules that re- limit what can be in this sort of bill. Uh, sure. And you have, look, you, you have 50 Democrats, but then you also have insurers up in arms and it, someone could craft an amendment. You know, once it hits the floor, a lot of things could happen. It underscores the challenge facing Senator McConnell at this point, Mitch McConnell, the majority leader, that he has to get a solid 50 votes among his own people to get this thing on the floor. And that has been very difficult. Now, I mentioned the Congressional Budget Office before, which determines what bills will do. Its uh, determination on that score is very important. When are we expecting to see it? It's unclear. It could come as early as, as Monday. The numbers that people will be looking for, obviously, immediately will be the estimate on how many people could lose insurance, whether that number changes, that high estimate, the $22 million in the last estimate. That's been a concern for a lot of the senators. And obviously, people will be looking to see the CBO estimate on how much the bill in this form saves, how much it saves over a decade. Okay. And the motion to proceed is just an initial vote that allows them to debate the bill. Exactly, Sean. And they're having trouble getting that. So that underscores how difficult this is. This that, that vote does nothing more than say, let this bill come to the floor, but yet you have Republicans saying, we, we don't even want to do that. Have they scheduled a vote? There's discussion and expectation that they'll move to it next week. It may be Tuesday, maybe Wednesday. We'll see. As you know well, these things slip. So we will uh, we'll see where they are when they come back from this weekend. Okay, Alan, back to you. The Republicans, after they finish health care, want to do a big tax overhaul. So is the pledge implicit that these two taxes that they're retaining as part of Obamacare, that those will be repealed as part of a larger tax overhaul to come? Well, I think some of the uh, business and the conservative groups, they, they would like the leadership to, to make an explicit promise to repeal these levies within the tax overhaul. And I think the conventional wisdom is probably they would be uh, add-ons, uh, that would be dealt with and included in a tax overhaul. And I think the Republicans uh, are thinking and, and hopeful that this is going to be much more in their wheelhouse. They're going to be talking at that point about tax cuts, not just for the wealthy, but for middle class families and even some benefits for lower income families. It's going to be tax cuts for all. And something they're very uh, experienced at dealing with. But the challenge for them is paying for it. They want the bill to be revenue neutral, to not add to the deficit. You add additional tax cuts, that makes that task harder. Well, if they're, if they're going to add these two, the repeal of these two levies, that's right, it's going to add that $230 billion as an added cost to the bill. And if you, if you insist on having offsets, they would have to find the offsets for it. And uh, now there is a, a, another school of thought among a, min- a minority of Republicans that they might just do some temporary tax cuts, as were done under President Bush. And then in that case, they wouldn't have to pay for them uh, or pay for any of it. But at this point, I think the, uh, the game plan is that everything should be paid for. So, right, they'd have to find the offsets. Those were President George W. Bush's tax cuts in 2001 and 2003, which 
were sunsetted, which expired and were later partially restored under President Obama. That's right. They were partially uh, restored, extended, and uh, permanently, actually, for middle-class families in the 2013 fiscal cliff deal, and they phased out some of those uh, tax breaks at the time for higher-income families. That's right. All right. We'll keep an eye on it. Uh, thank you, Al, for coming on. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you. I'm Sean Zeller, and I thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One.